Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. My guest today is Clemmy Telford, creative director, podcaster, and the author of But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids and Have an Honest Conversation with Yourself. And she also hosts a podcast of the same name called But Why? And I recently went on there to discuss Disconnected. So hop over there after you've listened to this one. She's also the founder of the blog Mother of All Lists, which hit over a million reads back in 2018. So I'm sure it's got many more millions now. And she uses her social channels to enable frank, open and honest conversations. Some of her most recent episodes are on domestic abuse, grief, ADHD and debt. She's been praised for showing her vulnerability over the years around the highs and lows of motherhood, discussing the challenges of mental health and anxiety, and most recently, the positive impact of being sober. I really enjoyed this conversation with Clemmy about the word influencer and whether or not we're living in a post-influencer world working with brands as a parent, making it work, changing up your career, setting boundaries online and loads more. We really got into it and had a good chat. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I'm just so thrilled to be sat here with a cup of tea and looking at lovely Clemmy's face on Zoom, <laughs> I went on your podcast recently, which I mm-hmm. really enjoyed. And there was so much I wanted to ask you. It was like, you know, when you're with a therapist and you want to be like, but I want to know about you. So I'm glad we're turning the tables today. So thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm glad to be here. And, and it's nice for me to, to sit in the other way around as well. Yeah, it's nice to be in the podcast world. I feel like so many of us have ended up using this medium now and I love it and I feel like the connection you get is just so different to anything else um but I wanted to start off because this is a creative careers podcast at the heart of it and people know you I'm sure for your online presence your books your podcasts your writing your website all of that stuff but I find it really interesting that obviously you didn't just like pop out of I don't know, a, a grow on a tree. I don't know what analogy I'm using um, to just do all of that stuff. And you worked in advertising, I believe, and sort of if, as a creative director. And obviously that ties into what you're doing now. But would you be able to fill us in a little bit? So, yeah, my career was um, as an advertising creative, fundamentally as a, a copywriter. But I don't know if it's still the case. But at that point, you were employed in teams. So I had an art director and worked all the way up. And then I had babies and I tried my very, very best to make the juggle work and I couldn't make it work. Before I kind of finally exited, I spent a year at Facebook, or actually more specifically at Instagram, um, working on their creative shop, which is their kind of in-house creative agency. And I was there as Instagram stories launched. So my job was to introduce brands to Instagram stories, which now feels absolutely hilarious. But it took quite a bit of onboarding to get people to understand that shift and and now it's so um, innate to us. And my kind of, this part of my career kind of happened alongside that. I started social media really to kind of help myself through a massive life transition and motherhood. I did so with a kind of weird curiosity for social media and just looking at how it would develop. I'd done cultural studies and media studies at, at university. So I always felt as if I was kind of observing it, but in observing it, I became part of it. I wrote an ad, put it out, it was done. And as a creative director, I just couldn't believe it. I suddenly had all this power because the middleman had gone and and was getting paid for it. So it felt like a very easy um, transition in that respect. Mm. So interesting because I worked in agencies as well years and years ago. And I remember 
having to pick up the actual telephone, like a landline on my desk to call journalists and bloggers. And and I remember it was sort of the early stages of the parenting blog and Mm -hmm. we would reach out to people and newspapers were very much still like front and center. And I just can't believe what, how much has happened in 10 years. When I look back to those days, like I would never pick up the phone and do it that way now, I suppose. But I I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because I know you had a blog alongside your job. And Mm. sometimes I feel like we brush over why people start blogs because Mm. now, you know, the parenting blog or whatever we want to call it feels very much part of the the media scene. But Mm. I feel like it over... We override why lots of mums in particular felt they needed that space. As a precursor to that, I started a very, very, very early blog called Lists on the Northern Line, which was a version of Mother of All Lists. But I suddenly from nowhere got terrible, terrible anxiety on my commute. I used to have to commute from Balham to Covent Garden on the Northern Line. And the only way I could stop myself having a panic attack was to try and do this bullet pointing. So I did that. And then my anxiety got better, so I stopped. And then funnily enough, when I then had kids, the the blog Mother of All Lists took on the same role from me. I was trying to process this monumental change. And at that point, my brain had been so fried, I couldn't really write in paragraphs, but I could jot everything down in the time it took me to do a feed. And so I'd write about my relationship, my career, my body, and it it was it was bullet journaling. It was to save myself, but in trying to save myself, I have found that people related to it. And um, definitely at that time, the more honest I was, the more honest people people were in return. And it's it's hard to imagine it, but in that first bit of motherhood, so 2012, 2013, there wasn't this dialogue around motherhood that there is now and so it was the first time that things had been broken down it wasn't all the appearances of everything being sorted it was the very truthful side of parenting which is now commonplace but it definitely wasn't then so interesting that isn't it that that was at the time really new and revolutionary because even this idea of being vulnerable in front of strangers was completely new we didn't really have it I mean there was like personal articles in magazines but there wasn't that sort of um, no gatekeeper sort of interaction. No, and there was a very, like, at the time, what felt like a really damaging Daily Mail piece about me, the um, mumsy mum, Steph, don't buy her flowers, and saying that we're glorifying uh, slummy motherhood because they'd found a picture of my children eating frozen fish fingers <laughs> from the freezer. But they weren't eating them. They just got them out and were trying to eat them. Of course, I don't feed my kids um frozen fish fingers but but it was seen as really risky that we were talking about the fact that this was hard and actually you know yeah things maybe have gone the other way but it yeah it was definitely felt brave at the time yeah and obviously there's an irony with the mother of all lists name because I know you know Catelyn Moran talks about this all the time but it feels like the women or at least it's sort of there's a gender role there where a lot of the lists and the kind of emotional labor and that sort of extra admin stuff always mm-hmm. falls on the woman more so than yeah. the man. And that feels like something that it feels awkward to say it even now, but it's like, well, enough women are telling me that that still happens. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm in a um, household where my husband is a childcare provider and I'm the, the primary earner. And even with that flip and he, you know, he doesn't, huge amount there's something that is and I don't think he'd mind me saying that still sits in the maternal mind and maybe that is 
a hang up on on mum guilt that I still feel that I can't completely check it out to him. But it's definitely true. (laughs) Sometimes I go out for dinner with my girlfriends and they're all sort of, you know, slagging off their husbands or boyfriends in in nice ways about how they, you know, don't take things up the stairs or they don't remember birthday cards or stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, no, that's me in my relationship. Like, I'm the... (laughs) I'm the worst. (laughs) What was it it you have to accept and hand it over? I remember very vividly when we started this transition of me being, you know, him being the primary childcare provider, he'd packed for holiday and I came back and these bags were packed and everything in me wanted to get them out open and, you know, and critique it. But what, you know, at the end of the day, what do you really need? We would have survived with anything. And I had to, you know, stop that behaviour in myself because if there were errors with the way he'd packed it's for him to learn and if I keep sticking my beak in we don't we don't move anywhere so yeah it's a definite transition yeah and the, the idea of the juggle or the, the reality of the juggle I mean do you feel like that conversation has progressed over the last however many years and because I feel at, you know I don't have kids so I have no idea but it's almost like there's no one solution I know there's not a one size fits all to anything in life but it feels like the impossible question still sometimes it does. I think the transition for me, and I don't know whether this is the ch- sign of the times or the sign of where I'm at in parenting, but I I worry for our particular generation of mums, this idea of doing it all is, is, is so dangerous. And, you know, I feel very grateful that I came onto social media, not with the intention of it becoming another job. And it has become that. And it's, had, it's still very difficult. But I the idea of trying to document motherhood and navigate motherhood and, you know, set up a side hustle as, as a given is just, it's just no, it's not going to do it. It's it's impossible and it can't be done. I think the biggest thing I look back on with my early bit of motherhood is realizing that you do have to sacrifice something. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to sacrifice my identity and my career, et cetera. I thought that I could hold on to all of it. But, but you can't. It's an impossible task. And I don't think we like the idea of accepting that sacrifice. But I think, in fact, Emma, I know you've talked about it, that, that if if you can't accept the, the um, sacrifice of motherhood, which is absolutely understandable, then then don't do it. And um, and we need to separate that idea that we should all cruise into this because that's the expectation, because it's not healthy. But I, I thank people like you and people who do write honestly about motherhood for that very reason Mm. because I think without the information I see it as really empowering when women share the truth Mm. with each other it's like well don't we need to know what what goes on behind the scenes so we can all make informed decisions at the end of the day yeah rather than be utterly surprised and also it's particularly unique to our generation because we are trying to do so many things it's not to say it's harder you know I often think with my mum she would have had hours on her own with kids with no contact with the outside world, which would be hard. But in some ways, at least you've not got that constant distraction and that constant trying to please the the, the third wall that is Instagram. Yeah. I mean, on that topic of doing so much and, and trying to juggle and, and this kind of not even about motherhood, just in general, like all of us are trying to do a million different things at once. I do always find it interesting that we are so it's so difficult for people to kind of switch off these days. And I know from friends of mine who have spoken about maternity leave, there's almost, from their perspective, there's almost this pressure to like make that time productive. Yeah, and and there's an interesting thing that goes on and I'm looking back at my own thing where I did it to save myself. 
But in some ways, again, it's not a very comfortable truth, but it becomes a distraction. You're trying not to deal with the fact that you're going through this identity crisis, that your relationship's difficult, that you're not sleeping. And and the distraction is in some way good, but uh, it does feel avoidant to me as well. Yes. I mean, on that topic then of the word influencer, because I really wanted to ask you about this, because I feel like someone had tweeted the other day, actually, and they were like, I really want to read a long read about how it feels very much like we're in a post-influencer world Mm. and how that word, we don't really know what it means anymore. But I wanted to ask you at the time and I wanted to ask you now, I know you've said in the past that you find the word a bit uncomfortable. (laughs) What was it like at the time, like having that label very much put on you? It's... I always, as I said at the beginning, existed in these in these two places because, you know, a lot of that influencer thing was landed in the trouble around ads. And actually, for me, I found the advertising part of this job very easy because that was my career. And so actually, when I was doing that, I always treated it like I did a piece of work and I didn't try and make it nefarious or hiding it in anything else. It's like, here's a piece of advertising because advertising is my expertise. And, and there's that. And so that bit was quite straightforward to me. But what I found very difficult was this idea of being put put on any kind of pedestal. I think I've, if I look back at school, I was never in the cool girl gang. I always just sat just below it. I don't even want to use that language, but, you know, just outside it. It wasn't to say I wasn't friends with the cool girls, but I was also friends with everybody else. I always saw myself as, as that person. And then for me, as part of being an influencer and, and getting a number by your name, it sat me in a club that I never felt part of. Like I didn't want to be the ringleader or the, the person in a group that someone else felt outside of, because that is everything that, that I've hated in my life. And I spent a lot of the work that I was doing trying to be inclusive, but that it becomes very difficult. And is it, it's this weird thing. And once you get a blue tick by your name, I often find that in my real life, actually, I try for as long as possible not to tell people what I do because you see a, 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 just a very tiny change in the way they treat you. And, you know, I've not got huge numbers, but it becomes this really strange idea of, of who you are and what you do. And especially if you've done what you believe to be a career that has got you to a certain place, which I was very proud of, I don't like to be treated a certain way for something, I don't know, that doesn't mean anything. Was that a realisation you had at the time as well? Because I know now, looking back, it must be like, God, that was weird. But were you very much aware at the time, like, I don't know if I kind of want to be in this right now? Well, again, it's a strange thing because the the group that I came into, you know, the the mum influencers, we also were all a bunch of women on maternity leave with very small babies who I've, I found them and we were genuinely hanging out with our kids in a time when your your life is quite confused. And I got on really well with them and they were women who were ambitious and opinionated and, you know, they felt like like-minded people. And so that was all very, very genuine. And then we had this weird thing where the collective power of us became more than something. And and you didn't, and I know you've spoken about this before, I mean, you don't know where friendships and colleagues and, you know, yeah, you don't know. I didn't know whether we were hanging out because we were, it was someone's birthday or because of how that would then be projected on social media. And I, I found that all those boundaries very confusing. And yeah, to begin with, it was just really fun. It was really fun and... And yeah, it was it was 
didn't it was a case of just seeing where it was going and not really knowing what was happening and and then yeah and then we ended up where we are now and it's this very strange journey to have been on it's so interesting that and I find that really relatable in my own way where you sort of fall into this world of like transactions as well because there's sort of this power in like you're saying kind of you know like crossing over your content or like collaborating mm-hmm. with people and it's like is this work is this not it's well, it was all very intertwined and I think it's important to talk about and look back on because it was a kind of moment in time like mm-hmm. we that won't ever happen again I don't think it might happen with like in TikTok world or mm-hmm. you know there was like a piece in the Rolling Stone recently looking back on YouTube and the first YouTubers like it was a piece of history <laughs> and it's like look how far we've come mm. and how unbounded we were then you know the the things that because again again I know it's something you talked about Emma if you if you're ambitious and I've always whatever part of my career I've done I've tried to do to excel at it because that's you know how I go about things and so you've got this weird thing with social media it's like well Instagram stories comes out so I'm going to try and do that well and then this works well so I'm going to try and teach myself to do that because that's what being committed to your career is but in doing so I just remember a really specific time where people started making content definitely to serve an audience. And I could see what success would look like in that way and how you would you would dial up your numbers quite quickly. And that sounds easy to say, like, well, if you knew how to dial up your numbers, why didn't you do it? Because I, I, I just began to see what sacrifice that was to your sense of self. Um, and it, it's always been a decision I've made in the way that I've gone about things where I, I couldn't, I didn't ever want to give myself over to things that much. And, and yeah, it's, I've just been on holiday and I took actually, and I, just after we put the podcast out from you and I came off Instagram for the whole thing. And it's this weird thing. People love holiday content. I consume other people's holiday content, but I, yeah, I would rather have a holiday now than give you, give my audience the better content. And actually I will do a holiday review after because there are some great places that people should visit but the important boundary is I experience it for myself first and then I will share it rather than sharing it in parallel yes yes I love that I love that I think a lot of people have learned about boundaries over the years and probably by giving too much of themselves, they now realize where their line is. Mm-hmm. But I guess an interesting one as well, just in the context of the internet and the time we're in and the fact that there are many firsts that come with the internet, like it is one of the first times that we are in a generation where people are sharing their kids online. And I always find that really fascinating because that I guess that's something I never have to think about. Like, mm-hmm. it's just my boundaries that I'm kind of crossing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what are your thoughts now on kind of, I guess, personally on, on that? Like, how do you, what's your boundary there? So my kids aren't on my Instagram at all anymore. They were, they were. And I mean, do I regret that? Again, it's difficult when you start out. I always say when I started out, it was other mums literally in the postcode following me. And then it was other mums in London and we all felt similar and it all felt very safe. And, you know, I was sharing my kids because that was the journey that I was on. But about the same time that my numbers got to what I conceived to be a bigger, you know, a bigger amount was also around the same time that my eldest went to school. And from then on, it just became abundantly clear that 
it, it's his it's his identity it's his life you know the worst thing I could possibly do is put anything on that would yeah shame embarrass or embarrass him or he would regret so no they're not on there I still talk about my experience of motherhood but not about them as people and 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 definitely not their faces and you know, lots of people have decided to keep their children on there, but it it just didn't feel like a risk worth taking, not just in terms of your digital footprint, but in terms of my relationship with them. Mm. So interesting, because obviously people can come at it however they want Mm -hmm. to. And I just feel like it's a sign of how organic it was, the fact Mm. that you were literally just on there. And then the next minute you kind of have to make these bigger decisions for something that kind of grew maybe out of your outside of your with outside of you knowing no exactly and and yeah all of it you you just got to you think oh i wouldn't share that now but you, you can only you can only learn as you go and and as i've developed i guess as a person and the way yeah and the way that i go about my life generally you then reflect that mm. online and i really love about your blog and about you how you don't shy away from real topics and conversations and you kind of lean into it and there's such a curiosity with your podcast as well like you just want to go a little bit deeper and I feel like we need so much more of that and I interviewed Laura Dockrill during the lockdown maybe the first lockdown about um, her experience and I know that she felt like talking about psychosis was was still this kind of I could tell in her voice that there was such a vulnerability there mm. of how, you know, we talk about mental health, yes, which is great, but there's still these like parts of it that still feel like new for people to hear about it for the mm. first time. And I know that she wrote on your blog and that sort of went everywhere. And 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 I'm I'm guessing that you enjoy kind of using your platform in that way. I do. I mean, there's two parts to it. Number one, as I say, this started at a time, well, actually lists on the Northern Line. So the precursor was when I first, got diagnosed with anxiety and at that point it wasn't in the it's something we talked about very much and I remember on that diagnosis thinking oh I'm I'm this weird person now and feeling so different and so misunderstood and so that became and then the same in in early motherhood with lots of my experience of that and whenever you go through something challenging you feel very alone in it. And if you can try and realise that we're not alone in any of our experiences, nobody will have had an identical one, but somebody will have had something similar. I think that's that's so liberating, and especially with Mother of All Lists, which is written by, not by influencers, written by all sorts of people. I just am really reminded of the idea that you'll be queuing in for the post office and you don't realise that in that queue everybody there has been through something absolutely massive, like mind-blowingly massive, and survived it. And um, there's it's just a real humanity of being reminded of that. And I think that actually is does really sit in opposition to what we see on social media. You know, even every single glossy post, there'll be a story of something that someone has gone through. So, yeah, that, that's that's why I do it. And mainly because I, I just love these big chats because I learned so much about myself from it and from other people so it's a selfish endeavor but hopefully that helps other people too yeah no for sure and I always I also feel like in order to do this job and to kind of still put yourself out there especially when you've been through probably you know like the Daily Mail thing like these moments where you're like oh for god's sake like (laughs) I'm trying here and why are people like this there kind of has to be a bigger reason I feel yeah and I feel like that's what keeps me going so I completely relate to that 
Yeah, exactly. It, it has to align with some kind of value somewhere and, and to hope that it adds something to the to the world. Otherwise, yeah, I, I couldn't keep doing it for sure. And I know that we spoke about Disconnected on your podcast, which I absolutely loved and I could, could speak to you for hours on it. What are some of the practical things that you have learned over the years in terms of social media? I know that you just spoke about going on sort of phone-free holidays mm-hmm. and you know, putting up some boundaries there that you didn't have before. Yes, that, that they're the biggest ones. So I now I'm not on it at weekends. I do my last post. In, so the engagement is best in the evenings, but I want to have an evening. So now I, I, I do a longer working day in my office, do my last post in my office and then come home and, and come off work. So basically all I do is not, it's not very clever. I just replicate a working day and a working kind of calendar. And you have to, I have to accept that I, yeah, of course I lose engagement and I am no longer that kind of person whose day you are following, but also, it means that when I do show up, I'm rested and I'm wanting to be there. And so whatever comes at me as a result of it, I can take. And also, what hopefully what I'm putting out is a value rather than feeling obliged. No one wants to feel obliged and just be doing things for the sake of it. So that's that. I have my I don't have any. Um, uh, you can't reply to stories. My DMs are off. You know, you can get a hold of me, but it, it's trying to take the hotness and the the um, quickness out of social media. That's where I've made some, what I view to be mistakes along the way is being reactive, both in terms of replying to people, but putting up content without having processed it myself. So a bigger example of that is I don't drink. I'm almost three years sober and I didn't post, didn't tell anybody about that until I was about three or four months down the line because I needed, like with a holiday, I needed to experience it for myself before putting it out in the world because I think social media is inflexible or can be and so I don't like putting something out only to realize myself that I that, that isn't the way I feel yeah I completely agree and and it takes some learning doesn't it to kind of work out what works for you but also what I'm hearing in what you're saying which I don't know if this is true or just me kind of um projecting but I feel like it's learning as well that it's a job and fully putting boundaries around the fact that yeah. it's a job because for me like the leaky kind of boundaries and being everywhere all the time was me almost being like oh my god I'm so lucky to do this job mm-hmm. I should be always accessible or this mm-hmm. is a hobby in some way still and now it's like no I need to like have some me time <laughs> yeah and I try and think of it actually I don't know if you've done the same but I think of myself as a broadcaster or a content creator rather than as an influencer because what we understand influencers to be is that always on that sharing like the behind the scenes part of your life which I don't want to share anymore because what you there needs to be different things for different people and I do try and show up as an authentic version of myself but there's some versions of me that only my husband my kids my family should get to see because not because I've got anything to hide, but because I, I yeah, it's, it's intimacy. Mm, for sure, for sure. And I guess it's interesting as well now that we're in this time where, like if we'd have had this conversation maybe 10 years ago, I would have felt like maybe we were alienating people because it's like, oh, that's just a job that like you have in this, you know, because there's mm-hmm. not many people that are doing it. Now I feel like whether you've got a small business or you literally are like a dentist on Instagram or you're a therapist and you're doing quotes and like everyone has, I feel, some outlet now where they're creating some sort of content. Mm-hmm. 
And I just wonder what's that like for you to kind of now look out at a sea of lots of other people doing it? Because in some ways I find it very comforting now. I feel like we can talk about it more now. But then in some ways it's harder to put your stuff out there or be seen. Not that that's a bad thing. No, it's it's a good question. But I worry about that. Do I worry about it for everyone? But this is this general boundary that's confused, I think, that people need to realise that doing their social media is work. And if, say, you are a dentist and you're then trying to do that in in the evenings, the social media part of it, you're going to go through a bit of a similar journey to what we've been through, which is, uh, oh, I haven't got my evenings left. I'm exhausted. And uh, that's actually the main thing that I look at when I'm seeing people on social media is thinking, oh, you've, you've got this journey to go on with it. And that sounds really annoying and patronizing, but I just, I don't believe it is sustainable to give so much of yourself to something long-term without it having a detrimental effect on other things. That's the, that's the most important thing, isn't it? You've got to reserve some of yourself for the for the people who you interact with in real life. That hasn't really answered your question, but no, no, it's true. But I feel like it ties into the, the conversation around productivity because I think the problem is is that if you went to a job in an office and you clocked off at five or six PM and you went home, then you'd be like, Okay, I'm gonna have my evening. I feel like now if you're a content creator, it's like a bottomless pit. Like I could record 20 podcast episodes today if I wanted to, Mm. I'd probably keel over and pass out and I would hate it, but I could earn more money. I could do more. I could always do more. And I feel like that's where the shift is in being like, oh my God, how much do I want to give and how much am I happy to get back for it? Yeah, but this is what the the crux of the confusing thing about this, because I think from the outside, it, it might previously have looked like this is literally money for nothing. You're lit, and the, you know the freebie culture, the gifting culture, the everything. But if you are creating content, there isn't a lot of money in this game unless you're at the very, very top of it. It's confusing, isn't it? Where I know how many hours I put into it, but it might look like it, it all just comes from nothing. I think sometimes when I say, "Oh, well, oh I'm self-employed and I tend to work like nine till seven, people wouldn't believe that, but that is the truth. I I hope I'm honest about the stuff that goes in behind the scenes, but that sort of laptop on the beach, digital nomad idea of a freelancer, I'm like, no. (laughs) No, and I'm really interested in myself. And it's partly dictated by my kids and their diaries and, you know, their days. But I've ended up creating the most conventional working pattern for myself. Everyone's like, oh, you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. Yeah, all what I'm going to do is I'm going to work during Monday to Friday, nine to whatever, weekends off occasional holidays i mean actually that formula that we'd ended up in was pretty it worked quite well yeah do you think that there is an upward trend of how many women especially do go self-employed for this very reason yeah i mean i just hope that that isn't a a a reflex reaction though that's i mean uh, that's why it's important to talk about the difficult that this this is not an easy being self-employed is not an easy option at all and uh, again particularly through the, the part of motherhood it can feel like an obvious option to take but I would really if you can make employment work for as long as possible at least until you've things have settled a bit until you've decided you've, you've seen the landscape because it can be you can make a decision and and then you're in this and and it's a not always easy to go back 
the other way I don't know if you've ever thought about going back into employment I do that about every four months I think I'm going back mm-hmm. and yeah I don't know yeah, no, that's that's really interesting because I do I know that um, Anna Whitehouse talks a lot about how for a lot of people it's not a choice. It's like you people have been cornered, and mm-hmm. it's like sometimes the only option to go and work for yourself. And I just I, yeah, I'm fascinated by the topic because I feel like by saying it doesn't work, sometimes I feel like it's like I shouldn't be saying it's not working no. um, because it's like admitting defeat or, or something. But actually what's wrong with just admitting it and wanting it to change and hoping it will change? Yeah, but also not it doesn't let anything or anyone or the system off the hook. But there are times in your life when something's got to give and, and something's got to pinch, I think. And, and you know, and that is the way it goes, is it? Cherry Healy always says we're in like a rush hour part of our life and there is a lot of things to juggle and and it's having realistic expectations of how that looks and how that feels, which is quite hard. Yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like it's sort of like an existential thing of um, we are reminded at all times that we kind of have choices and we have to make choices and yeah. sort of stick with them because, you know, you we can't be like five different things all at once, no. all in the space of an hour. It's like, you know, no. life is finite. <laughs> it really is. And that's why, yeah, the boundaries thing for me became even more important because I, then I, especially if you're documenting motherhood, you're like, am I doing work now? Am I with my kids? What, who am I in what places? I need it to be pretty clear cut to me who I am at what moment that's so helpful thank you so much for sharing so much and I wanted to just end on talking about your brilliant book but why how was that writing that book because I think I have read somewhere that you said that you described your book as an existential crisis sort Mm. of point in your life which I've I I think a lot of people relate to and the fact that you kind of wanted to like question everything start again yeah so I got I signed my book deal in the April and we'd gone into lockdown in the March so it's very difficult for me to unpick the pandemic and the book in my mind and also it was the last two years of my 30s so that I think is quite an existential and my kids I was coming out of the baby years with my kids so I don't know which which is what but yeah I went about trying to answer tricky questions for kids and in doing so I had to ask myself what I thought about everything from religion to money to education to body image and and especially when you're doing it through the guise of how you'd want to translate it to the next generation because there's a lot riding on that and and I just realized I I just unpicked absolutely everything and I'm only really just beginning to put it back together but in relation to the book, you actually posted something, Emma, that was super helpful. I found the self-promotion part of the book writing absolutely debilitating. I didn't do it. And actually, this is one of the first times I'm kind of properly talking about the book because I'd I'd put so much heart and soul and mind and existential crisis into it. And then it came to publication and it was such a private experience of writing it. I couldn't then I couldn't go public on the promotion. And it's really difficult, isn't it? It is, but what what was it in particular? Do you think that stopped you? Because I was embarrassed. It, it's such a like the the cover and everything. It's just so it's so you. I just I thought it was fantastic. I just didn't want to push anything on anyone. I didn't. I yeah. I just don't want to force anyone to do anything. Which yeah, I'll, I'll sell anything. <laughs> I know what you mean, and I think that's why I wanted to write that post mm. that a few people have shared because. I think we forget that books aren't just a product. And I think we, they are packaged up, of course. They're, you know, they're like 
15.99 sometimes or whatever but actually the heart and soul that's inside those covers most writers actually don't get paid huge amounts of money to do it like it is a bit of Nothing. a passion project <laughs> and most of the time you are having something to say that you genuinely think might change someone's outlook for the better and so it's like unpicking that and being like look I'm not selling you anything here I'm actually I'm actually offering up something here yeah it's so true and and I've never read anyone else's book and had anything except for like great thoughts about it and even you know I'd say 99% of any book I've ever read I've taken something from it it's very it's a very interesting experience publishing is a is a lonely game isn't it it and the amount of I mean if you've begun to drill into the cost how much you make per hour gone into it I mean wow it's 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 definitely not a lucrative thing but I I'm trying I'm coming up to paperback publication in not that long I'm trying to do better at it I'm surprised at myself how badly I struggle with self-promotion and it's, it can be a defense mechanism isn't can't it it's a bit like and I was never this person someone who says oh I didn't revise for my exams is so that if you do badly, you've got that back out. It's like, yeah, it's hard to put your, it, it, you do put something of yourself in print and it is forever. I think that's a very new experience for me. I've always either, anything I've put out in the world has either been ads, so it's for other people or anything on social media is quite quick and then it's gone or you could delete it. Whereas this is, it, this is forever. But um, I am very proud of it. And do you know what, again, like everything that I do, it taught me a lot and it hopefully makes me a better parent for my children. And so even if that is the beginning and the end of it, that's that's substantial. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so honest about that. I feel like that was a really, really honest reply because I think a lot of people would probably just um, say, yeah, you know, it's fine, it's great. <laughs> um, but on that note, it's a really great book. You have had amazing feedback on it. I was reading all the quotes last night oh. from brilliant people who loved it. And so I will put the link below for the paperback version so you can go and, um, thank you, thank go and get much. a copy and big up Clemmy for writing it. Thank you. So, Thank you for coming on. I always really oh, enjoy talking to you. You too. And see you soon, I hope. Yeah, see, this is a good bit of all of this. I have met people like you through this over the years. So it is it is all worth it. No, it is all worth it. It's it's been what a roller coaster experience it'll be. And what I love is the thought of in three years we'll have a different conversation and this will feel, you know, like we didn't know what we we're talking about then, you know. <laughs> One of us will live in, in, in the woods or something. Yeah, I'll be quite up for that. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> Thank you.